Rufus, you know, we have our own one and done for the PGA starting for the Genesis in three weeks. I'm excited for that. And do you know who's playing in the pro-am at the Genesis in three weeks? It might be your co-host. I know. He's told me about five times so far. I'm playing on the Monday pro-am, which I think is a little less. That doesn't even uh, count. That doesn't count. Still playing Riviera with like a pro. I mean, counts a little bit. Are you like playing with like, well, you can't be playing with the Monday qualifier. It is an elevated event, but I'm, I'm interested where, and if we ordered all the golfers based on like official world golf ranking, which guy you're going to be playing with. And I would go, it's like an 80 person field. I'm going to go over under 70 and a half. All right. We'll see. So Splash Sports, who sponsors this podcast, is doing a PGA one and done, uh, 25K. It's the Bet the Process or the BTP one and done. This is, we've been doing this. This is like really cool. You pick one golfer each week and you get their earnings. But it's a $25,000 or some pretty cool prizes, uh, meaning, let's see, money $100 entry, $25,000 guaranteed price, six segments. So money, money's a good there's prize. There's different types. 1150 for each segment, 3000 for first place for the entire season. There's only fewer than 275 entries remain. So you can go to splashsports.com slash BTP and we'll tweet this out. And again, there's a little bit of time to enter. So hopefully you guys all join. And we have Kevin Clark on today to talk a lot about the X's and O's of the Super Bowl. And with that, let's start the process. Bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast. Rufus, we are two weeks away from that game that we can't call the Super Bowl. Well, it's the No, it's the Superb Owl. That's how you get around it. Superb Owl. And then you just space weirdly. Yeah, you just... Did you know that the Super Bowl is the Superb Owl if you just move that last... The R... Yeah, or move the B to the other word. Did you have any reaction? <laughs> did you have any reactions to the games this last week? Did you? Yeah, I mean, them? I... I did watch them. I had I had some positions on the games. I had some San Francisco money line that I took, and I had Ravens Ooh. and San Francisco money line basically. So those those were those were a little bit stressful to watch. Prop, props did really well, so that was nice. But yeah, the Ravens money line, the the 49ers money line was it was looking pretty pretty bleak too because we got a really nice price there, and like that would have been a pretty significant loss. Were you as a holder of the? money line ticket on the Niners were you happy or sad when Campbell decided to go for it on fourth down when they were up 14 because I think that's the one to me that's the most yeah, debatable true. again it's not analytics uh, I, I was I, normal I was actually I was happy a little bit actually because I was like it didn't if it was a fourth and one I would not have been happy but fourth and three and it increased the variance and I needed variance. That was, that was the way I saw it in my head. 
But that's a really so good that's way of an putting interesting it. Point of view because because I was also rooting for the Niners, and I was also happy. And then obviously, when they didn't get it, that was the first time in that game in in a long time that I thought they had any life. Like well, I was just like, oh, they it was the whole three possession game just feels like it's so much more hard, like so much harder yeah. to come back from than a two possession game in my head. Yeah. But I mean, I think, you know, we don't want to relitigate this and we have Kevin Clark on in a minute and we talk a little bit about it, but I mean, those fourth down decisions were so on the margin, especially when you have a kicker who is not, you know, lights out from that 40 to That's a good yard point too. And I, like, I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think these really were on the margin, and and uh, I don't know. But again, like, I was happy that they went for it. Obviously, even happier that they didn't get it. Um, do you think that they pick up that flag on the Ayuk long touchdown pass if he doesn't catch it? I don't know why. Well, but it's really easy to pick up a pass interference flag when the guy catches the ball, <laughs> right? Oh, oh, they they actually picked it up? They, yeah, they said it was there was no penalty on it, and they picked it up. Like because someone said, I, that, I, I was, I was like, like, it was a catch anyway, so I, I didn't actually pay attention to that because yeah, that's what I said too. And then someone was like, oh, they picked up the flag, and then I was like rewatching the game. That was one of those games that you rewatch in the second half, and you're like, how did this really happen? Because I was curious, did the Niners D really play that much better, or you know what really happened? And the Niners D did play better, but I wouldn't. It it was it happened so quickly, right? They tied the game up with three minutes left to go in the in the third quarter, and it all happened in that short spurt from like, you know, it's five minutes to three minutes or something like that. It was crazy. Yeah, field goal. They stopped them. They touchdown, fumble, another touchdown. Boom. I I was actually hoping that it was gonna like, I would have preferred just a pass interference call there at the time, given the fact that I had some IUK unders and I had Brock Purdy under passing yards. But both both those actually end up winning anyway, so it was fine. Do you think if if Todd Munkin and this is like kind of a ridiculous question, but it's also kind of an interesting thought exercise, especially for people that were holding Ravens? Well, I guess you probably got Ravens minus two hundred or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and I had I had a little Ravens features from earlier as well. Do you think that the Ravens win that game if Munkin has the knowledge that the Chiefs aren't going to score again in the second half? That's a really like interesting part of the, part of the right. issue because then he, is you don't have to play so frazzled, right? Like part of the issue yeah. with, with part of the issue, I think, and, and I felt this way watching that game. I didn't know Baltimore could stop Kansas city. Like in that, yeah, in I that didn't, it in, didn't seem like they could. Although I yeah. felt the exact same way about the lions offense against the Niners too. Well, for sure. In the first, the half, Lions didn't then, punt. I mean, they were stopped on like fourth down, but they didn't like, did they punt all game? I mean, until maybe, or I think in the fourth quarter, maybe. But yeah, they like, punted that. They punted that one, the seventy-five yard punt that one in the end zone. Yeah, the Lions got got up the one yard line, but instead ran it in the end zone. In the end zone. So. Yeah, but I mean, but they didn't punt the whole first half. Yeah, I don't think they did. You're right. I mean, it does feel that way. You're right. You you feel like okay, you have to score every drive, and and uh, you're right. That that's a really good question, Jeff. And I wonder if that does even subconsciously play a role in sort of hitting that panic button and trying to do too well, much we, too quickly. If you go back to that Munkin thing, right? Like we, we criticize him for his game plan. 
I wonder if that really was his game plan or if he just got into this place where he thought they were in a much more negative game state than they really were, right? I mean, they never got down by more, more than 10. And um, they certainly had plenty of opportunities, you know, especially in that fourth quarter to have won that game, um, which is fascinating because if you think about it, they played about as poorly as they could. And yet, you know, obviously they lost by a touchdown, but they, they were, they were in that game. Well, and they basically, I mean, look, they gave up a touchdown on with Zay Flowers fumble into the end zone after he had the taunting penalty. Remember that? And then they had the interception. Yeah, no, I, I was zone. watching like, the game. They had all these, I, like in the, in, in the second half, you're right. It felt like they played poorly, but at the same time they had so they, they should have had more points clearly. Yeah. They lost. I mean, uh, they lost the turnover battle three, three, nothing, right. It's, it's very hard to win in the NFL if you do that. Yeah. And like Lamar clearly panicked the, on that. Pass what about to... the chiefs offense though, in the second half? It's, it's, it's hard for me to understand. It's hard for me to completely evaluate an offense in a situation where they're up two scores. But you were like saying trying... that it's it's still not that negative of a game state, et cetera, et cetera. You can't you yeah. can't have it both ways. It can't be that that bad for Munkin, but at the same time, the Chiefs like can hibernate. Well, the, I mean, are you going to take a side in the Super Bowl? You know, if I do, it'll, I'm sure it'll be nine or it's like, but I probably won't because I, I might have, yeah. Like, there's just so many other priorities. I mean, it's not, we'll, we'll see where that line goes. Well, where do you think it? I mean, it opened two and a half, went down to one. It's now settled back at two. I think if anything, where it moves you... to the Niners a little bit, but I think it probably stays inside a field goal. So, then in that case, you're still not gonna. You still won't no. play anything. No. Got it. I don't. I don't have it like that crazy. I. I think. Let me do. pull it up. I think no. you have it at four or five. Okay, I had it before this week at, and it's gonna, it'll change, but but at four. Four, you play minus one, wouldn't you? Back when I was playing NFL sides, I probably would have, but probably not play minus two. All right. Yeah. Let's let's welcome Kevin Clark, and then we'll talk to you guys all after the interview. We now welcome in one of our favorite guests to the Bet the Process. But I I think you're like one of the guests that makes us maybe the favorite. Like, just like, like you're like a major media mogul. You have a podcast that I actually listen to. Um, this is Kevin Clark. Kevin, thanks for joining us. What's going on, guys? I'm excited to be here. So. It's been a little bit of a tough run for analytics in these playoffs. And, you know, I don't think any of us want to relitigate the Dan Campbell <laughs> decisions because ultimately they were marginal decisions at best. And, yeah. you know, they were, they weren't an example of analytics, but I think what is interesting and what I want to at least start this conversation with is when, you know, as someone who is kind of uniquely qualified to talk about this, cause you have like real football guys on your podcast. And then you also, are down with the analytics world. When do you think this discourse becomes less about analytics and, and it just disappears? And what's interesting to me about this question, maybe it's unknowable, is this is largely a, a microcosm of the world at large, right? Yeah. You have this idea that analytics versus, you know, it, it's still a movement and it's still 
carries negative. But in, in football, do you think there's a possibility that we'll ever get to a point where the discourse is not necessarily about analytics, but just about the actual decision itself? It's a great question. So first of all, um, and I've shared this a couple times in the past week on Twitter and stuff, is that Dan Campbell did not come to the fourth down stuff through analytics. He came to it because he worked for Sean Payton in New Orleans, and he used to see how scared defenses would get when Sean Payton would not only go for it on fourth down, but had the capability to take a deep shot on fourth down. Um, and he said, I want to do that. I want to scare defenses. What do defenses not want to see? They don't want to see Drew Brees lining up on fourth and one with the capability to go 40 yards in the air. So that's how we came to it. So the idea that what's funny, if you look at Dan Campbell and you say, this guy, this guy's going to be the avatar for the spreadsheet community, that would be a surprise. Um, but no, he, he really did sort of come to it naturally. When is it going to go away? Probably never. And here's why. I love analytics. Toughness still really matters in football. Hitting and in, in practice still really matters in football. You go to a Steelers practice and they are knocking the crap out of each other on August 4th. And I think there was a movement, and this is kind of separate from the analytics thing, but like the sports science thing, where it's like, let's let's uh let's not hit in, in training camp. Let's do uh, you know, don't do as many padded practice, all that stuff. And meanwhile, the best coaches like Andy Reid are just like, cool, we're just gonna play a bunch of football uh in, in training camp and see how that goes. And so it's it's the analyst the decision making part of it and the preparation part of it are almost two separate things um what what you know fourth down decisions punting decisions uh even the, the genre of play call and, and kind of the tone of your play script that's all separate from do you prepare your team do they practice well do they have the install right do they have efficient meetings it's completely different it's not like baseball um which i think is there's not as much emphasis you know whether or not guys do, do enough grounders at first base is sort of irrelevant to whether or not the Diamondbacks are going to be good this year. That's not really the case in football. The decision-making is a very small part of it. And you see a lot of guys, I mean, great example, like Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay. These guys are very conservative. Part of that is just their, uh, the fact that they did come up. Like we, I think we sometimes see these guys who are 39, 40 years old. Well, that means that they started in football in 2006 and 2007 when nobody was having these conversations. And they came in through John Gruden, who was never having these conversations. Um, and so it's still, even though young souls, quote unquote, are in football, they are very much old souls because of, of when they came up. So maybe in 15 years, we'll be having a different discussion and guys who are 40 and getting jobs now have always been rooted in analytics. I feel like the fourth down stuff will eventually become more liberalized. I remember having a discussion years ago with a guy who was like, you know, we're going to look back on the fourth down reflexive punting stuff and say, it's like bunting in baseball. And we're just going to say, why were we giving up possessions? And I generally agree with that. But I think the conversation is always going to happen. The funny thing to me, guys, is you had this argument all week that was like, and I saw a couple different places like well, analytics are put in place so that guys can get jobs from a non-traditional background. Well, the only way that these guys get hired now is because of nepotism. So like, what exactly are you arguing for? Because everybody, the only way to get your foot in the door in the NFL right now is to be the son of a coach or know a coach or be the son's of a coach's friend. Like that's the situation right now. So I'm not sure I'd go into this defending the current hiring structure of NFL teams. I think maybe, and I mean, frankly, Analytics hiring has brought in a lot of kind of much needed voices into NFL facilities. And I think it's, it's, it's much needed. I mean, there's a reason, you know, the Eagles have done a great job of bringing in different voices, um, the Browns, different voices. Um, this is, this is the future, but it will never, there will never be a baseball esque takeover because of the, of what is necessary to win football games. It is interesting yep. how little a baseball manager actually has to do and how much it matters versus a football coach. Like opposite ends of the spectrum. They're like Ryder Cup captains. 
a little bit where it's like after every time so this is a little bit different with a european team because they, they're doing an election now but whenever the u.s wins there's always like the nugget that like the you know the assistant captains did a great job of, of calming down some guy on 16 and it's like no that didn't that didn't actually matter we're good here did they you know they picked where we were they were eating dinner the night before that's what they did <laughs> They picked the speakers on Saturday night. They brought in they brought in uh, Scotty Pippen. Okay, so moving on from that, in your estimation, like if we look at last week's games, you know, we all I think look back at game plans um, as you know Tuesday morning or Monday morning quarterbacks, and we know when a game plan was bad. And I think everyone said the Baltimore game plan was bad. They didn't run enough yeah. for whatever reason. How how does a play caller like Todd Munkin, who clearly is a good play caller, how does he end up in such a bad game plan, which obviously we're saying after the fact, so it's not fair, but would love to sort of understand in your mind how that actually happens. So first of all, I'm not a big, big game experience guy, but Todd Munkin has not at the NFL level called a lot of big games. He has not had to hit the panic button Many times the NFL level, obviously at Georgia, he had a lot of big game reps. I'm not diminishing that at all. Um, although 99% of the time he would have the, the talent advantage in that situation. And where was the panic button necessary ever? Right, exactly. I mean, like the one SEC championship game against Alabama where they lost, but then I mean, he didn't. I don't know if the panic button was was uh, successfully pushed in that game. Um, but I mean, it's it's a really easy thing to be able to maul opposing defenses with uh, some of the best NFL first round picks, second round picks that we've seen. Uh, that's that's a, that's an easy panic button to hit whenever you need it. So, I think that the biggest overreaction that teams have is that they need to change their identity over the course of the game because things are going south on them. It was funny. I had Mitchell Schwartz in my pod today, and he was talking about the way that the Chiefs operate when they're down two scores because they they have the best record ever uh down two scores Mahomes specifically and nobody else like entire franchises go like a decade without erasing a, a two touchdown lead in fourth quarter and what Mitch was saying was like there's this there's calmness on the sideline like if we just do what we need to do we're going to be fine like stop muffing punts stop dropping catches just execute our normal offense and that's always it's funny because Bill Walsh famously said that there's no such thing as rising to the occasion there's just doing normal execution when everybody else starts to lose their heads I feel like Todd Munkin came out and said, we want to have a Lamar masterclass. We want to put the the game on his shoulders, test that secondary, not run the ball. And it didn't work. They fall behind early. And then it just seemed like they were spamming deep passes that weren't working, looking for the home run. They were looking for the easy solution to get out of that problem. And I think they should have said, okay, let's actually go back to our identity. Tons of time left in this game. Our defense is playing well enough. More more running back carries, more than six, uh, more spreading around of, of the ball and the quick game stuff. I was so disappointed because the adjustments they made against Houston were so great, where it's quick game and more decisive runs. And it's like they forgot how to make adjustments at halftime because it was the Chiefs or because they, they thought Mahomes was inevitable or whatever it was. I was shocked at Todd Munkin. I, I, that's not he's, – he's done a very good job this year. People were asking me, like, reader questions. were like, what would the score have been if Greg Roman was the OC? Well, they wouldn't have been in that game if Greg Roman were the OC. So so all power to, to, to Todd Munkin. But that was just – to me, that was a choke job from him. Like, Lamar was bad. Munkin was worse. And I think that everybody saw and seeing that game – you just talked about one and one in quarterbacking. Anybody watching that game saw in real time – that this wasn't working, and, and the only person who didn't seem to get it through, through to them was, was was the play caller himself. 
Did he, did Munkin, do you think he anticipated something, a very different Chiefs game plan on defense? Because you would think like the Chiefs being weak against the run, that's what you should exploit. And yet he had a completely different idea and they completely took away the intermediate passing game. I mean, I don't know. Lamar was the best intermediate passer in football this year. And so it would have been the easiest thing in the world to say, like, uh, over the middle of the field, both zero to 10 yards. I, b- I believe from from 10 to 20 yards, he has the most touch. Lamar had the most touchdowns this year in the next-gen stats era, so the last eight years. And the person whose record he broke was Lamar Jackson's in 2019. So, like, that's the most obvious thing to take that away. The Chiefs did that, and then and then they were like, all right, let's let's go exactly what they took away. So, I don't know if if Tom Munkin was doing that kind of the kind of game theory in his head, like, oh, they're going to take this away, let's do this. I, I just think it was just kind of stupid. Like, I think he should have just, you know, I think my old boss, Bill Simmons, used to have, like, the VP of common sense. And, like, there should have been someone on the side that I mean, like, stop overthinking it, run the damn ball, um, or have Lamar run the ball, be more decisive in that regard. Um, and so I, I – Lord knows what was going through Munkin's head, but it just, it just, it was an awful, awful afternoon for him. It would be interesting to me to know whether Munkin's game plans during the regular season changed a lot based on opponent and stuff like that. Or if he, um, you know, if, or if he basically was just, let's do, we're, we're doing our thing. Cause I know there's some coaches, it, this is always interesting from a prop betting perspective yeah. where I'm trying to actually figure out what each team's going to do. Like coaches that try to take away the opponent's best weapon, like, yeah, Belichick is historically done versus, you know, coaches that kind of like we're, we're playing our game. If they're better than us, they're better than us. But that's what we're doing. That's interesting because I felt like I, you might be onto something here um, as far as lack of adjustments, even though Houston game now was withstanding because it felt like when they had their worst games this year, the Ravens, they it was like they were ramming their head against the wall, like the Colts, like it was just like poor execution and lack of adjustments. I, I think that they, I think Lamar himself could make very good adjustments, but they imploded. And I remember having this debate with Barnwell halfway through the season where he was like, well, the flaw with the, the good news is the flaw with the Ravens is when they lose, they beat themselves. And I was like, well, wait a second. Is that good news? Like, is that, is that, that seems like bad news, but I, I can see the argument that they are responsible for their own demise when, when it happens. And we saw that on Sunday. Um, it just, it just felt like every time, they lose a game they should have won or a game they should have been in more. Um, it's because of of themselves. I'm not necessarily sure where that comes from. So if we talk a little bit more about play calling or game plan, I think, which is interesting. And you, we talked a little bit about Munkin's ability to adapt or did he adapt? We now have one of the sort of master play callers in the Super Bowl with Kyle Shanahan, mm. who's sort of notorious from scripting. What do you see him doing in this game from a play calling standpoint? Or what do you anticipate him doing? Like if you were sort of had your crystal ball and, and predicted, we were to predict. All right. So I think he's going to be more aggressive on first and second down. Um, I actually asked Mitch Schwartz this question today because he was he played in the last game. Um, and he was, he was all pro that year, the last Super Bowl that they played against the Niners. And he said, you do not, I know this sounds like the most cliche of cliche, but against Spagnuolo, you don't want to be in third down situations, any third down situations, because you don't have to drop back pass. You want to be able to play action. You want to be able to run you, whatever those options. But also Spagnolo is bringing defensive backs. They're timing the blitzes so well. No one is better right now at timing big defensive stops than Steve Spagnolo. And so I think there's going to be more aggression on first and second down. 
Um, I think that there's going to be, uh, you know, I, let's see what Debo's health looks like. I mean, the analyst community loves Brandon Ayuk and his ability to get open. And I asked um, a couple people over the past couple weeks because the ESPN analytics thing has a, uh, has a, a rating for each receiver. And Debo Samuel is by far the best yards after catch guy in football. Like he broke the scale, I think, a couple of years ago. Ayuk is by far beating CeeDee Lamb, the best open guy, guy best at getting open. I said, what's more valuable? I just asked him, like, what's more valuable, open or yak? And the answer is open. Like yak is, you know, you can stop that. You can game plan towards it. You can't can't game plan against a guy who gets open. So Debo's injury has always been a little bit overrated to me. Ayuk is is the guy there. And we're not even talking about George Kittle and 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 Christian McCaffrey. Um, I think we're probably not going to see Kyle Shannon overthink this as far as the run game. They're going to use uh, Kyle Sh- uh, Christian McCaffrey quite a bit. Christian McCaffrey, I think, has the most touchdowns this, this year against uh, two high looks. So that's something to, to be aware of. We might see some run blitzes from, from Spagnolo at some point just to try to, to, to disrupt the timing back there. Um, I think it's it's like I think Kyle Shanahan is 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 a genius. And I, I've I've done a lot of just whenever I have somebody who's played with Kyle Shanahan, played under, coached with them, I just say give me a Kyle Shanahan story, and all of them are amazing. Like George Kittle was on my pod last last summer, and he was saying that basically like Kyle will waste plays, and that wasn't his phrase, but Kyle will will literally just run plays he knows won't work in order to set up the big play. And everybody says like it's sequencing or whatever, but it's like Kyle really will just be like, all right, this is we're going to run into a, a brick wall here, but just do it anyway. And Kyle knows he's 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 always trading up for the big play, which I think is a really good uh, way to put put football. He's always trading up for the big play, and he knows the rules of everybody's defense so that he can break them. That's why I think from a scheme standpoint, I'm so excited about this. It's like. He's going to understand the Spagnolo rules, and he's going to understand when those those well-timed DB blitzes come. He's going to understand uh, when they're going to bounce Chris Jones outside versus inside. Like he's going to understand all that stuff, and and he's going to tailor it to him. There, there, there's going to be no Todd Munkins in this game. Is there a world where, like, is Spagnolo more set in his ways than Kyle is, or is that just a very gross, rudimentary? statement by me oh that's a great question um listen kyle's pretty set in his ways man kyle's pretty set in his ways we've seen some some big kyle shanahan uh i mean obviously last year in the nfc championship game he he had those injuries so we couldn't really see we've seen the 28 to 3 thing um i don't know i don't i it'd be hard for me to say who's more set in their ways i would say kyle shanahan's his stuff works and i think he knows that and he wants to stick with the system and I think that sometimes, and actually say maybe Shannon, Kyle Shannon is more set in his ways. And here's why I think that. I think sometimes Kyle believes in the system, and he has assembled an unbelievable roster. But I do believe sometimes he believes in the system over those players. What I mean by that is there'll be backups who come in, and he'll run the same stuff to the backups. Because I think he just believes in the system over anybody. And I think that that's the funny thing to me. I mean, like, there's a reason it works. Like, there are three players uh, I think three of the five players in history with eight per eight eight yards per attempt, three of the five players, eight yards per attempt in history have been Kyle Shanahan players. Um, and that's just like it's un it's it's it works. The the stuff works. And so I understand that. But if I were to say who kind of forces things, uh, it would probably be Kyle more than Spagnola, although both of them are amazing at their jobs. Spagnola is interesting to me because he's star rose with the Giants yeah. winning the Super Bowl. He becomes a head coach with St. Louis. They weren't St. Louis then, right? Yeah. Um, kind of bombs. 
and then was kind of disappeared for a little while. Yeah. And and it's not like the Kansas City. He's been with Kansas City since what 2019, and their defense yep. has not his, right. And it's been kind of a yeah. He was pretty bad, but it's not yeah. like their defense has been great during that time either. Except I mean, this year he's got better personnel. So based on that, I'd almost argue it's like he does one thing, and if he has the talent to make it work, it works. And if he doesn't, it doesn't work. Yes, I was reading a uh, a like a markets book last summer, two two summers ago, just to kind of understand. I forget what book it was, and they were talking about how um, there's these guys who become, and you guys know this far better than me, but it was about uh, guys who were good at buying the dip, and they were talking about how there were just they were talking about basically the the relationship between being good at one thing and timing that thing exactly right. And then people thinking you're good at everything for a decade. Right. And so like, I guess what I'm saying is like Steve Spagnuolo now has the DBs who can blitz. He now has Chris Jones who was putting Deion Dawkins and Josh Allen's lap on that Shakira throw that won basically won them the game because if they hadn't, if, if the Bills score there, um, there is no, their Tyler basket. Right. He has Brett Veach has done an amazing job giving Steve Spagnuolo the players, but that's the system that's set up. I know a bunch of people in Kansas city, Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo say these are the guys I want, and then Brett Veach and, and those those scouting guys get them that. That's why this all works. Um, there's a certain type of receiver who works with Patrick Mahomes, um, fast, gets down the field, can improvise down. And Kadarius Tony and 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 MBS are not that. We'll put that off to the side. I think Spagnuolo is the perfect guy right now for this defense with McDuffie, with Legarius Sneed. Um, they've done a really good job, and I think we missed the story over the past year, which is everybody's like, oh, how could they build this roster without these receivers? Well, what Veach was doing was just building him a defense that's young and good and aggressive, and that's going to be far more impactful than, than what's going on on the other side of the ball. Um, Spagnolo, right now, you're right. He like he was the interim coach for the Giants in 2017. Nobody remembers this at all. He came back in 2015 to the Giants for those three years. He was the Ravens secondary coach before that, so he had he'd worked with, with John Harbaugh. Like, he really did disappear, and the fact that he went, I think, 10 and 38 as a head coach. Like that works to their advantage because they're never going to lose him. He's how, how old is he? He's uh, 64 years old. He flopped as a head coach a decade ago. Um, it's a defensive coach anyway. So it's a side of the ball that nobody considers particularly sexy. So like he's just going to be there for the next 10 years, dialing up aggressive blitzes. It works right now. And I think, I mean, frankly, if you think, look at it right now, it's one of the best coordinator hires the last 20 years. And you consider the, what they've gotten out of it just a, a floor of good defense. That's that's really that's a really good point. What's interesting when you mentioned buying the dip, and and I don't mean to move the conversation, but like no. the, the the think about the right now we're going through the hiring cycle. You know Ben Johnson passing up yeah. passing up the Commanders, and it's like all these teams are interviewing coordinators for teams that are good that that did well. And it's you know if I'm if I was a GM running a search or an owner, I'd be like looking for the guys that the coordinators that didn't have talent yeah, that, whose teams didn't do well, but the process was good, you know, almost like Spagnola when he was with, didn't have talent. Right. So it's, it's too outcome oriented. That's why I think Dave Canales in Carolina is actually a pretty good hire because he is responsible for the number one reclamation project of 2023, which is Baker Mayfield. And now he has to reclaim Bryce Young. And so I think I would look at that more than, like, I think the worst process, what's funny is that with the Brian Callahan hire a couple days ago, people were like, oh, another one of Peyton Manning's buddies. And it's like, well, you know what? It's been a decade since then. And he coached Matthew Stafford, made him better, kind of got screwed in some of the coaching transitions in Detroit. Then he goes to Cincinnati and he makes 
he helps burrow he gives burrow a support system so like i'm okay being around greatness if it's if it's sustained and it's it's a decade and all that stuff i don't want to be i don't want to hire adam gase where it's he's literally just peyton's buddy but on the other hand like i completely agree with you like go to the who who did less with more and like that's always the thing like in soccer like Sir Alex Ferguson, best soccer manager of all time. Like he was in Scotland with Aberdeen winning huge games in like the middle of Scotland with not a lot of talent. And like that Urban Meyer, right? Great example. Like he had Utah and he was beating legit teams and he wasn't losing. Like those are the guys I would just throw all sorts of money at is guys who is like the, the old Bear, line about Bear Bryant. I'm not sure who said it, but it was like, he will take his players and beat your players. And then he could take your players and beat his players. Like that's, that's what a great coach is and i think that we too often conflate coaching talent uh excuse me coaching quarterback talent with actual having coaching talent so you made a comparison and i i thought it was like a really interesting comparison to the the chiefs run with the pats run where like nothing really matters until january i think during that pats run there were, were some analytics that people recognized that made the patriots overplay their analytics both red zone offense and red zone defense turnover luck uh relative inflation of footballs do you <laughs> there are any there are any things in the Mahomes and the chiefs era that you see there or is this simple answer mahomes because like like yeah. in both the uh baltimore and the san francisco game i think every analytics person would say that these numbers are short that the value from an analytics perspective is on, if you look at sort of like long traditional analytics is on the favorites in this game and not on the chiefs. But, you know, is there any reason that you see that beyond just Mahomes? Uh, It's Mahomes and Reed. Um, You know, it's funny because I think part of it, going back to our earlier discussion, like I remember in Mahomes' first year as a starter, their fourth down conversion rate was like, it was like 85%. It may have been even higher at some points of that year. And it was like, nobody was yelling, take the points at Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes back then. Um, their ability to get the exact yardage they need. I've always joked, and I've had other players joke to me, like, Mahomes' speed is just fast enough. He can scramble. He's a more, we talk about Lamar Jackson not having decisive runs. Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes is a more decisive runner than Lamar Jackson. He just starts getting the first down. Their, their ability to do that. When Chad Henney came in a couple of years ago in that playoff game, they run spirit right option. They get the two yards needed. They're always really good at throwing beyond the sticks, getting the yardage they need. Like the the short answer is Mahomes, but Reed gives them the infrastructure. The offensive line is always good, or ha- has been always good since that Tampa game a couple of years ago, and it was good before that. They just got injured. Um, I don't think that there's like a analytics kind of hidden secret here. You know, hidden hidden game of football thing with with Mahomes. I think it's just that. He is supernaturally good at doing the things that are, are required of him um, on a given play on a given, like, it's almost like he's the anti, when I say, when I say uh, Shanahan's trading up for the big play, like Mahomes isn't doing that. Mahomes is like, it's second and nine. I need 10 yards. I do think he's changed a little bit with the Tyreek Hill trade a couple of years ago where he's not, he doesn't have the freedom to just pat the ball, run around and then just, just chuck it down there and Tyreek will adjust. Um, so it's become a little bit different, but it's still the same, which is that I don't think I've ever seen a player better at getting exactly what is needed on that play. And I think Andy Reid knows that and he, he played, he played calls to that. So it is, well, the sort of run up to the Super Bowl and, and um, prop betting for me is kind of taking over my life right now. And I'm trying to <laughs> sort of find 
you know, alpha in any way I can. And a lot of that's like analyzing coaching tendencies and finding a, trying to find exceptions to what my sort of algorithms that are built to predict generally, uh, spit out and then sort of looking more granularly at things. And so like watching games last weekend, I kind of got some ideas. Um, for example, seeing all those targets to Kelsey on broken plays where Mahomes was scrambling and just getting rid of the ball and threw up a prayer and Kelsey catches it. Like, you know, how many, what percentage of, of targets to Kelsey come in those situations versus I guess, you know, that they were versus when he's got a clean pocket, you know, how much does, um, how much is scramble rate, uh, related to sort of quarterback pressure and sort of the defense type, right? I mean, man versus zone. And so, I'm curious if you find any sort of specific tendencies or if you've seen any um, or predict any that'll have an impact in the Super Bowl, not necessarily in the game outcome, but maybe from the perspective of of trying to predict, you know, player statistical output or or something that occurs in the game. Yeah. So so the one thing that I think we probably should have seen coming going into the last game was Travis freaking Kelsey, because his ability to do two things. Number one, find holes in any zone defense. That's what this is. That the whole thing is just when all else fails, it's Kelsey option route. So it's middle of the field finding finding a hole in the zone. But that that's what they do. And they know, I mean, it's a, it's it's like point guard of basketball. They know where each other will be on any given play. And I remember Kelsey was on my show last year, um, and we were talking about that just like how often he'll think it's a dead play and Mahomes will know exactly where he is and find him. And sometimes that requires him to take a big hit, but he's fine with that. And Mahomes seems fine with, 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 uh, with, with that as well, especially over the middle of the field against man, he can contort his body. We saw that. And like, it's not like the Ravens went out of their way to try to sell out to stop Travis Kelsey. It was a different game plan. So it didn't take much for Kelsey to have that, that like that the first touchdown being a great example. Like you just contort your body, perfect ball placement. I think Mahomes understands like most great ones, how to throw, and this might be myth-making, but like how to throw to play, to, to, to use a play, defender's leverage against them, you know, when to throw in a double coverage, all that stuff. Like the greats understand that. Maybe they don't talk about it because um, they don't want the advantage out there, but like they, they understand how how to how to throw against that and so i don't know if there's been in 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 the last decade a better i mean i don't bronk and brady would be up there but like the chemistry between receiver and uh and quarterback is special and so if i'm thinking about props i haven't seen a, a kelsey line but i'm spamming the over because it's funny because um so kyle long was on the show and he was just like the 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 point of the chief's offense is to get those guys on the same page Kelsey and Mahomes that's it that's the point of it is they'll figure it out and they know they're like great jujitsu fighters where they'll they'll use the weaknesses against them and they'll know okay Joe Tooney's out that's fine we're probably gonna get a little pressure let's game plan for that and then let's adjust to it and get that so thinking I, I think it's gonna be a huge um huge Kelsey game and I also like MVS uh seems to be not dropping huge balls anymore and I think I've got a lot of thoughts on the on sort of the the drops panic over the developed over the season. Um, but I think that there's, there's I think it's gonna be a pretty huge Mahomes game. Um, and I think that it's going to be a pretty huge uh game for 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 overs for any of those skill guys. That's not what I wanted to hear. What what were you what did you want to oh, hear? Well so so I mean okay last week I believe the Kelsey over under for receiving yards was in the low sixties, like sixty one and a half. It opened mm -hmm. at like 76 and a half just based on one game. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing it's going to close in the eighties. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And so it's, it might be too high. I mean, I think that there are these massive overreactions. I mean, so Lamar Jackson, his rushing yards number last week was, I got under 67 and a half all the way down to like under 65 and a half. The week before that, it had been in the mid forties. It, it adjusted up 20 freaking mm. yards based on one game. So there are these overreactions and it is the Super Bowl where prop numbers are really, especially on the star players are driven by the public. And so I, I'm going to wait. I, like, it's like, no matter where I model Kelsey, I'm probably going to be betting under on, at kickoff just because that number is going to be too high, I, I think. And so, I mean, he could have one of these crazy games and I kind of, you know, hope he doesn't but because i feel like i will have some position but but maybe my projection will be high enough that that i'm only really taking the the, the really good prices at the end when you mentioned the super bowl being influenced by the public does star power folk like do people want to bet on mahomes and kelsey special yes. kelsey this year like are people just like oh it'd be really fun if i had some skin in the game for this superstar player i think they like betting on the superstars and they like betting on things to happen um, yeah. And they're and they're very influenced by the recent past and narratives. Yeah, that's interesting. So the key is just to bet on like uh, Rasheed Rice, basically. The key is to just bet against anything happening. Typically, like to bet <laughs> for the most boring game ever. Yeah, like the, the the Rams Patriots Super Bowl was incredible. Wait, yeah, that's what it was, right? Yeah, the, yeah, the was that like thirteen to three? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was, literally, it was, it was literally the happened. most boring game to watch, but it was it was it was great prop betting one. So if we go specifically, you were, you were, you were the one guy. You were the one guy in this in, in at home saying thirteen to three, baby. Yeah, like Patriots to not score. Was it no Rams to not score a touchdown? Like at whatever yeah, odds, that was great, right? Yeah, and like, then the, oh, the biggest play of the game was a Jason McCourty uh, pass breakup at the back of the end zone. If you remember tracking like 30 yards so honestly was i was so bored i didn't really i don't remember that much from the game there's just a lot of yeah. punts there were so <laughs> do we want to like make a prediction on this game like what what do you see happening because ultimately like there are a lot of narratives that we could go through but i think for me this interesting thing comes down to like on both sides of the ball it's like mahomes like are the niners it doesn't seem like the Niners, and, and maybe this, this is worth a conversation, are the right defense to stop Mahomes given like the amount of zone they play and their ability right now. Like they don't, they should be designed to get pressure with with four, but it doesn't seem like they're really able to. And then on the other side, you know, it's it's somewhat like early down success and ability to play from a positive game state. I think for the for the Niners. Are there other themes there? And, and then ultimately, what's your what's your prediction? Because obviously we need a prediction because this is a yeah. an analytics and, and preview show. So I thought the determining factor last week was going to be Joe Tooney's injury because Joe Tooney is an all pro and we underrate the, the national media underrates pressure at all times. Like when people talk about momentum in football, I think it's real, but it's really just quarterback pressure and turnovers. That's what that's what momentum is. And I thought, and like, as our, as our, uh, as, as my former idol, uh, Bill James, when I was a big baseball guy, uh, used to say, just because something doesn't happen immediately doesn't mean it's going to happen, not going to happen. And I worry about that. I wonder what the tipping point is because I remember someone with the chiefs telling me they were in the box with a bunch of the, you know, owners and scouts and GMs, like the, the chiefs box at the Bucks Super Bowl, And like within like a, a play, one of the big wigs was like, oh my God, we ran out of linemen. 
like that's it we're, we're done and you always wonder like what's the tipping point between you know intern inside pressure nick bose had eight pressures even though he was shut out by penny Sewell. where does that matter and i think they're and willie gay obviously not being able to to be in the middle of the field there is important but i think that they're right on the right edge there and i think mahomes is going to be able to do enough and i know that that sounds so simplistic but like i'm done doubting Mahomes in that kind of situation um I think and I've said before like he's in the Michael Jordan era which means really amazing people become minor characters like Carl Malone and George uh, uh, Sean Kemp and and Gary Payton and uh people who who should matter just don't matter and that means Lamar Jackson Josh Allen uh Joe Burrow in some cases and Kyle Shanahan uh, next Sunday so I'm I'm gonna pick the I'm gonna pick the, the best quarterback I've I've ever seen in, in the Tooney injury, you're saying like it doesn't look like he's going to play again. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very it doubtful. Like I mean, peck injuries are really something, and the fact that insiders like going into last week were like it's going to be a struggle for him to play the Super Bowl means like I, it, I have no information on this, but I can kind of read the tea leaves on stuff. If somebody's like it's it's going to be rough for the next couple of weeks, we're probably going to find out, you know in a month that it was it was there was almost no chance i'd be just just reading the tea leaves on the reporting it's going to be a race to play and and i just i'm, I'm i usually short those situations especially with a pack what about uh sky Moore and Kadarius tony are we going to see either or both of them so why did Kadarius tony say he wasn't hurt they're trying to do him a solid and they're like hey man like you're you're hurt you got a knee and then they asked Andy Reid about it the other day, and he was like, oh, yeah, he's working through some stuff. It's like, Kadarius Tony, they don't want you to play, but they want you to continue to, like, make a living in football. Just accept that you have a knee injury, and he doesn't want to do it. I, I would be surprised if Kadarius Tony is even in Las Vegas. Interesting. It's funny how that's become a story. I mean, Such there's a, a real addition by subtraction there. Yeah. I went to University of Miami and uh, Kadarius Tony had an amazing play against us in 2019. And I was like, God, that guy's a stud. And then it turned out uh, Miami just sucked. That's what happened. Ah. <laughs> yeah, it turned out we, we just sucked. So many such cases. Rivas, do you have any more questions about the game? No, I mean, I mean, I could talk to Kevin for hours and ask like how, how <laughs> it should look at, you know, why, why don't you how ask I should actually look at this game and, and, I mean, I don't have any specific question as much as just generally wanting him to talk about the game and the matchups and how he sees it going even more. So it, only if he wants to do that. All right. Well, to, let's, I, I want to see, I want to, you know what I want to see? I want to see more Chase Young cutups because he was not efforting a lot last what weekend. What was going on I, there? I what was going on there, you think? I mean, I, it was laughable. I, I don't know. I don't know. I want to see if Chase Young, because I had someone say to me, they were kind of laughing at uh, someone in the league was kind of laughing at Jordan Davis's Super Bowl tape last year, and they, you know, someone they were just kind of like, I don't, I don't really know what was going on there. It could have been a conditioning thing, could have been whatever. Um, but Chase Young, like, I if, if he gives that kind of effort in the Super Bowl, we need to have a, a tough conversation about Chase Young. There's a great, uh, there's a great, and I don't, I don't want to say the player because it's I'm blanking on him, but there's a great NFL Films clip on the Kevin Dyson Super Bowl against the the Rams and the Titans where they're, they're everybody's mic'd up and that drive is happening and one of the Rams players just asks out of the game. He's just like, I'm good. I just really need to beat. And Dick Vermeil's like, 
there's 40 seconds left in the Super Bowl. Like, what are you doing? And the guy was like, yeah, I'm, I don't, I don't know. I just, I'll just take a beat. And it's like, it's just kind of funny, these guys. And maybe it's actually a good process to say I'm too tired to play in the Super Bowl. But um, uh, it's it's just, it's very funny when everything's magnified like that and guys still are either huffing and puffing or not giving a lot of effort. I mean, it's like Christian McCaffrey. They're playing him every single snap unless he like, well, except when he bops his head. That was the funniest, like... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, he, he like landed on his head. I know he, he did. It was a little head bop. It was a, it was an incredible run. But um, oh, okay, oh, wait, I want to say wait. I just want to add a note here. A little funny story. The first bet I've ever made, and this was not a financial bet, um, but the first bet I ever made on a sporting event was on the Titans Rams Super Bowl with some really with this girl that I had met. She was a Rams fan, I guess, or but. I had met her, I was in like sixth grade, maybe something like that, maybe seventh. I don't know. Sixth. I had met her sailing at a regatta. I was, I sailed wow. competitively growing up. And the bet was that if the Rams won, she had to kiss me. And if the Titans oh won, God. I had to kiss her. It was probably the best bet I ever made, what? right? I mean, that's a, that's, this is a great, <laughs> this <odds>. is... <laughs> that's a great hedge. It's a great way of asking somebody out well, in sixth grade, right? Yeah. Who do you think had the positive EVP but in that The situation? thing is, it never had actually <laughs> ended up happening because it was like I didn't I wasn't gonna see her till the next summer. So and then I don't know. I think she might have had a boyfriend or something. Or maybe were you gonna see her camp at Niagara Falls? No. Um the first okay. the first bet I ever made was uh through my dad as a proxy on uh the Michigan Alabama orange bowl the one that tom brady beat sean alexander in i was in las vegas that week and my dad was like let's let's go put some bets down and i had i had michigan i actually don't remember the line i know michigan won by one i don't remember who the favorite was i'm not even sure we cast the check but i remember vividly standing like 20 feet away the sports book while my dad was my proxy have you, have you thought about kevin a little when you're going to introduce gambling to your kids hopefully i know never. you're he's only one but but uh but I yeah, think about no, this. He's only but... one, Teddy. Um, so the thing is, is that I'm a I'm a golf sicko. And I think that when that happens, we have to normalize him being in master's pools, one and done, that kind of stuff. That's gonna start pretty early, I would say. I think that's a great way to start it. I mean, that's that was my start, like NCAA tournament pools. Yep. My my son will ask me questions like, are we rooting for the this team, that team, or points? <laughs> <laughs> Why are we rooting for points? <laughs> I mean, that's the most fun thing to cheer with cheer for as a kid, right? Yeah, I try to get him some level of, of normalcy. You mentioned one and done. Um, I guess it'd be a good time to talk about our sponsor, which is Splash Sports, and we're gonna be doing you should join our one and done, which we're gonna be starting for I would for, love to. Uh yeah, it's a $25,000 guaranteed prize pool, $100 entry. It's splashsports.com slash BTP. It's the BTP PGA one and done. It's starting in a few weeks, so plenty of time to enter. Um, Kevin, thank you for joining us. I, I do want to ask you that one last question. So you've been asking your guests, like, if there's one play, I guess you yeah, could yeah. go back to change. Is there one take, one article in your career that you would go back and change if you could? Wow, that's a great question. Um, one take. Oh, I I, I know what it is. So uh, the first week at the Ringer, 
So I had done a bunch of different stories with um, with Aaron Rodgers. And this was 20 going into 2016. And Aaron Rodgers was like, had said to me, said to others, he's like, my tape was terrible. Like last year I sucked. I think he said at one point he wanted to puke. I don't know if that was like, he said he basically was disgusted his 2015 season. And so I'm going into 2016 season. I'm ranking the quarterbacks and nobody knew who I was back then. Like, and nobody knows what I'm at, but like I'd come from the wall street journal. I was a feature writer. I was doing all this stuff. And I was doing the top 10 quarterbacks that year. And I ranked Rogers sixth, which I thought was fair. Aaron Rodgers was his toughest critic. I'm not even sure Aaron Rodgers would have ranked himself top 10 at that point. And uh, I ranked Andy Dalton fifth because of the season he'd had the previous season. And so and this was only for that year. And then Rodgers played really poorly the first half of the season. And then the second half, he comes on. You guys remember, he has an amazing throw against Dallas. And I don't really know how it happened, but on Twitter for like six months, all I was, it, it became reduced as it always does to I'm the guy who said Andy Dalton is better than Aaron Rodgers, which is not really what I said. And also a lot of it was informed by Rodgers himself, but you can't really be like, hey guys, let me explain this take. And so I had to take my medicine. And so for like three or four years, there was still a large contingent of people who thought I'm the guy who said Andy Dalton. And then it became reduced to, I thought Andy Dalton was the best quarterback in football. Or even worse, uh, I thought Aaron Rodgers was not a top 10 quarterback. And it just became a game of telephone. It was my first real uh, experience with like the take complex where you just end up in people's heads. You just end up saying things you never said. And I learned to live with that. But if I had to do it over again, I would not have ranked Andy Dalton ahead of, of Aaron Rodgers just because of how annoying it got. Like I remember that... There was one weekend we were looking for apartments in LA and we were sending uh, real estate agents and brokers all these emails. And I had to like keep deleting all of these guys, you know, Packer fan 420 saying like, you should, you know, you, you should never breathe again. Um, so that was, uh, that's the number one. Uh, if I could take back anything, it'd be that. All right. Well, Kevin, thanks for joining us. Uh, enjoy the Super Bowl. I know you're very excited about it. And then we'll, we'll probably have you on again sometime in the spring to maybe talk golf just just please golf. Like, we'll have kevin please. on anytime he wants anytime he'll agree to top golf top golf vegas awaits i'm not bringing my clubs to vegas because everybody keeps sending me screenshots of the greens fees of the big courses that week so uh i'll play with florida the next week you're head you're headed out yeah to the yeah, game yeah uh, uh sunday this sunday oh, oh nice yeah. yep maybe i'll That'd run into you i hope so you gotta hit me up i'm, I'm here will. i'm here for like three weeks Okay. I will see you. You can run around with Rufus and do prop bets. That's like a it's like a, a pretty fun thing to do. <laughs> hey, it sounds like you're an experienced proxy better. Actually, you should yeah, have him on your podcast, your Kevin, to talk. Better. You should have him on your podcast to talk prop bets. That's actually a pretty good thing. I love that. I would love that. Um okay. all right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. So that was our interview with Kevin Clark, who um is Rufus's idol, I feel like. Uh, yeah, which is, which is fun to see. You, you think you think he'll him. actually meet up with me in Vegas, or you know? We'll, well the more out. bigger question is, will he have you on his podcast? He should have you on his podcast to talk props. He's probably doing he's probably doing Radio Row in Vegas. He's got you he's should got try all the get... big timers, man. Like you know, when you can get any athlete in the world, why would you want me? Honestly, as a prop better, if you're willing to give out some information after you're down on stuff. You should be, I mean, this should be your time. We should actually try to see if we can get you booked on some Radio Row 
like shows in, in Vegas to promote Beth. Please promote Beth the process, please. Well, I mean, please. I had a I had an interview. I had a call, audience. I had a call with CBS Evening News yesterday. They cold emailed me about something. So you should tweet out, Rufus. Anyone looking to have me on as a guest? So you, you're I saying I should be a media whore? See, I've been accused of that, but I will say I'm not someone that actively pursues media stuff. I just respond to things. No, but I think for I think for Super Bowl week in Las Vegas, like this is your time to shine. If there's ever been a time for you to shine, this is it. Because it is. In I Vegas. didn't even think about the but, fact but what that is, what does that, that do? Like, what is that? I don't know. I don't. I've been largely absent from Twitter for the last year. I'm not really. I, I don't. No, I, I want why you do to I, promote our. We, okay, we are trying to, to promote the podcast. podcast. Okay. Promote the podcast. Yeah. We we spend a lot of time and effort on this podcast now, even though people might not be able to tell. Please go and promote the it. Don't just promote unabated. Promote Beth the process, especially if I'm the one pushing you to get on. I'll promote both. To... Don't mix the message. I won't mix the message. Mix metaphors. You only have a chance to promote like one thing, probably. Um anyway, so uh okay, final thoughts. Um next week I think we'll have our annual now episode where we have david allen we talk props and we have our prop competition which is fun yes rufus but to your point when i'm down on my props i'm not going to be down like i'm not going to be down until the game actually kicks off jeff like this year we're going to have more bet you'll be down vegas. we're, we're going to have more bet on vegas on game day than any other super bowl in the past i i haven't even done projections yet jeff normally i would have already put in 60 hours of work since the conference championship games ended right now it's Wednesday midday. I've probably put in maybe four to five hours of work on it so far. And I'm just not in any rush because the, the ecosystem has changed so much. There's, it's not worth my time to try to, I mean, well, openers came out immediately, like after the game ended that it, it, these domestic us books. So it's like they've, they're pricing game props are not wildly mispriced anymore. Um, the value really is going to be fading the public stuff on, on Super Bowl Sunday as well as, I mean, there'll be other value too, but it's, it's not racing to the openers anymore. That's just going to be such a small portion of our volume. If we do that anyway, professional better Rufus Peabody says fade the, fade the public. Uh, okay, well, we'll talk to you guys all again next week where we'll have uh, Matt David on to talk props. Rufus, maybe we'll talk some props and maybe we'll have two guests, maybe one more guest to talk NFL and the, and the superb old owl. So uh, thanks again, and we'll talk to you guys all again next week. Media coverage sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. As I mentioned, this episode was brought to you by Splash Sports. You must be 21 years of age or older in Massachusetts, Iowa, Arizona, and Louisiana, 19 years of age or older in Alabama, or 18 years of age or older in other states to enter into a paid fantasy contest. Rufus Peabody Crunching all the numbers Massey Peabody rankings We're looking for the edge Analytically driven Crunching all the numbers